to. Hello, and welcome back to another Dispatch from Ukraine with Holly McKay. Today, we're going to be asking Holly some questions that have come from people on the internet, and we're going to get some answers from the source herself. How are you doing today, Holly? Um, I'm not doing too bad. Just, yeah, day by day, sleeplessness. Yeah, I bet, Um, you know, considering where you are in Kiev. All right, so here's the first question. Um, first question is, Holly, what is the most concerning piece of war propaganda being pushed to the Western world? Um, I don't know. I think there's just a whole lot of propaganda that comes from all sides. And it's actually been really disappointing, the number of people that that have, you know, said, oh, we don't trust the media. We can't believe this. And, and I guess, you know, that there is some really incredible journalists that are still here. Many journalists have left, but there are some really great journalists still here. Usually most of them are with the major networks, but I just think it's important to, to look at the sources and just because it's mainstream media doesn't mean it's suddenly wrong. And I think it's a disappointing sort of route that a lot of conspiracies have gone to um, because people are risking their lives to be here to bring you the story and they deserve um, a little bit more respect, I think. So just be aware that propaganda is going to happen. I saw this in Afghanistan. I, I see it just certainly here. And you know, if you're seeing a picture or a story, like check the source, try to understand where it comes from. Um, if it's an image, you know, do a reverse image search and check, is this really the, the war in Ukraine or is this an image from 2008 in Georgia? You know, just, just do a little bit of due diligence if you're, if you're unsure. But I think the sort of distrust, while I understand that is also really disappointing because it takes away from the people that are here doing important work. Yes, indeed. People like you, among others. Okay, next question. Does it look like humanitarian and military aid is arriving and getting into the hands of the locals? It's very difficult. It's place by place. So it's impossible to sort of paint that as a a broad brush picture i think in in places that haven't been hit too hard um aid is still going in and out you know where possible it's obviously very challenging because a lot of the bridges and things are being blown up especially around kiev at the moment both by russians who you know today just in a very chilling way um in a mortars rained down on people that were evacuating and in a family kids were getting killed as they were trying to leave so that was really heartbreaking um but also ukraine has had to to blow up bridges themselves to try to stop Russian tanks from being able to, to cross easily. So um, it's, it's difficult, but it's, it's still sort of doable in Kiev right now, but certain areas, especially in the suburbs around the city that have been really just under fire for the past few days. Um, it's very difficult to get aid into those places. And, and from my discussions with sort of military top brass was that, the sort of the Russian propaganda playbook often works by um, basically sieging a city or shelling it to the point and and, and people are in their basements and they can't get medicine and they can't get food and the Russians will come in and occupy it and, and basically push the civilians to the brink where they're starving and they're desperate and then suddenly arrive, you know, bring out, bring out aid 
and, and try to sort of curry favor that way when people have absolutely no choice, but to kind of take it. Um, so that sort of, and then they film those videos of Russian soldiers, you know, being the, the heroes of the day. And then that all gets played in, in Russia as, um, as propaganda to the people. So that is something that the, uh, Ukrainians are very aware of is, is happening and, and likely to just, uh, continue to happen. There you go. Okay. All right. Next question. Do you think it would be in the best interest of the country if Zelensky fled Ukraine so he could still lead effectively from afar without the fear of being murdered until it is safe to come back? I don't think that's the approach that Ukrainians want to take it all. I think that, um, you know, they're very proud of their president for not running away. You know, I think it'd be very hard and very demoralizing for Ukraine if their own president fled to safety while they're on the firing lines, um, you know, risking their lives. So I think it's very important to the morale for President Zelensky to be here. And I think that he's, you know, setting a very strong precedent. And I don't think at this point um, it would be useful to him to leave. I think he, him being here is, 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 is what is keeping Ukraine fighting. Wow. Well, that's a, that's a very strong, uh, assessment and, uh, a very heroic one at that. Okay. Next question. From what you're seeing, is this a black and white issue with Russia being the villain or is there a more nuanced perspective? No, in most wars that I cover, there usually is, is a lot of nuances involved. There is, Usually some sort of mix of, of good and bad and, and, um, uh, you can kind of see it from every side. This is a unique in that this was a completely unprovoked invasion. This is entirely on Russia. They have no legal basis of invading a sovereign country. They have made up basically bullshit reasons of why they are invading, but they refuse to even call it an invasion. They're calling it a nonsense uh, liberation from the fascists. I mean, that's just, you know, Putin himself is the fascist. There is nothing, um, you know, saying Nazi government. Well, Zelensky is Jewish and there is nothing, um, you know, within that government framework that has any indication of it being Nazi. So this is a completely unprovoked, unwarranted, unnecessary, terribly sad war and one of the few circumstances I would say, you know, Russians will like to argue and Russian friends of mine in the United States also argue, oh, but, you know, NATO is expanded. Russia doesn't want to see NATO on its borders. Well, I'm sorry, but Ukraine is not NATO and Ukraine is not Russia and Ukraine is its own country and they have absolutely no basis to be here. So um in this circumstance, I, I feel pretty confident in saying there, there is one evil villain and that is uh, Mr. Putin and everybody is suffering as a result of this one megalomaniac. There you go. Okay. Next question Um, shifts a little bit. Do you think China will follow in Russia's footsteps and invade Taiwan? You know, there's a lot of talk about this and people have been talking about this now really since the Russian buildup. I think obviously China is, is watching this very um, coherently, looking at the Western responses, looking at sort of how this is is all coming to play. And I would hope that, that China would look at this and realize that the cost of um, invading a sovereign country would really, um, you know, the, the, the sanctions and the um, ostracization from, you know, everything from the World Cup soccer to the... Um, tennis tournaments to to whatever to to 
that would be that they would really be suffering in the population. But having said that, China also is a very different economy to Russia. Russia, um, you know, it's it's terrible GDP. It's already uh, sort of deeply impoverished whereas china has a lot more of its own internal mechanisms that could probably make up for even very hard-hitting sanctions so i don't know that china would be as insulated as russia is sort of looking to be because if it was to to try to invade taiwan um they could also probably interpret it as saying well you know we're not really going to see a military response from nato or anybody so you know, it's not a huge cost to us to do that. Um, so they are sort of looking at the response. And, and quite frankly, what I've seen in the way that the United States are scared of China, you know, you can look at something like the NBA um, where people won't even criticize China. There is no criticism of China in a lot of these major companies, whether it be Nike or major telecommunications or places that have um, a presence in China. They're, they're absolutely terrified to say anything about the Uyghurs or any of the human rights abuses that happen there. So I'm not even confident that even if China was to invade Taiwan, that any of these corporate conglomerates that make billions from China each year would even say anything. Um, so China is definitely um, probably in a much stronger position than Russia is. Okay, very good. Okay, so this is a long one. All right, and I'll I'll um, I'll, I'll let you know when the question's done. The question goes: We get a lot of misinformation from news channels. Can you tell us how the Ukrainian people are doing? Are there safe towns they can go to? Are the Russians shelling civil uh, civilization apartments like we've been hearing, or are there more? asset targeted, uh, like we've also heard. I think at the beginning, um, the approach was to try to sort of take out military assets, um, targets, you know, airports, um, bases where infrastructure was being kept. But I think as the, you know, we're, we're looking at sort of 10, 11 days into the war now. And I think that that kind of targeted policy has pretty much gone out the window at this point. I think when um, Putin realized that he wasn't taking Kiev and taking the country as fast as he perhaps expected to, I think he's sort of taking a much more serious approach to things now, which is basically just carpet bombing towns and civilians um, without much care for human life. And, and that is what we're seeing now. And um, certainly on the outskirts of, of Kiev, plus in other cities like Kharkiv and uh, Mariupol. And it's very chilling because this is somebody who absolutely has no regard for human life at all. And it's baffling to me that in the 21st century, um, uh, that you can't look at Ukraine and think that this isn't the lowest point of the international community to be able to protect the innocent. That in the 21st century, there is nothing that can be done to stop one man from absolutely um, annihilating, you know, hundreds, thousands of, of people and, and women and children and, and seem to be getting away with it without, um, without any sort of military intervention. And it's, um, it's a very heartbreaking state for, for, the world that we're living in. And I feel being here, it is, it's being like something like out of the second world war, the, um, you know, concrete blocks and the checkpoints and even the sort of, they put these very spiral, I'm not sure what they're called, but they put these big spiral things on the road that are supposed to, I guess, absorb um, artillery as it's fallen, but, but they're also a throwback from the, the second world war. So it's a strange and, and bizarre time. And it really, as much as we think we've advanced in society, that this could never happen. 
what is happening now is just proof to me that we haven't really advanced all that much. And it's heartbreaking that there isn't more that can be done. Um, and I know people are very terrified of the West taking more, more into, I guess, intervention approach with the new fly zone or something because Russia is a nuclear power. But, you know, we also have to remember the U.S. was assigned on to the Budapest Agreement too, which basically Ukraine gave up its nuclear arsenal in response to the fact that they were supposed to be protected. Um, you know, so you could also make the argument for, would Putin have done this if Ukraine still had its its nuclear stockpile, which and had a very significant nuclear stockpile, um, you know, from the Soviet era. So... Yeah, the ability to protect people is something that um, you know, the world stage has is, is failed on. There you go. Uh, yeah, and actually, at the time that Ukraine gave up its nuclear weapons, it was, in fact, the third largest nuclear power on Earth. So a very brave move that seems to have backfired on them as history has gone on. Okay, next question. Is there a curfew in place in the evenings? What do people do during the day? Uh, yes, there is a curfew in place uh, during the evening. So that starts around 8 p.m. and ends around 8 a.m. So basically you don't want to be out uh, in the street at that time because you will risk probably being shot at. Although I don't know that Ukrainians are all that sort of trigger um, happy, but but uh, but certainly it's important to be inside to allow them to do their job as effectively as possible without having to worry about civilians roaming around. So there is that in place during the day. I mean, it's generally fairly quiet, but, you know, people still go out. There's really nothing opened. You get a notification every day of, you know, which pharmacy or which market might be opened. And so you tend to see sort of when you're driving around, you see a big group of people waiting on a corner. And that's usually they're waiting in lines to to go into a pharmacy or a market to get um, any necessities and things that they they need. So that's basically all that's opened. Um, and then the cars that you see are just people trying to go from A to B, really. Um, beyond that, if for someone like me, I'm obviously out working, out trying to do stories, out doing interviews, um, which is a very big logistical challenge. Um, right now, it's very hard to find drivers and fixers and those sort of things. But as an independent journalist, I'm doing my best um, here on my own. But it is, um, yeah, people are out, but it's, it's certainly it's a city that's a shell of its former self. And it's it's hard to imagine um how quickly things changed from from fairly normal into a state of war yeah okay all right so um a last question and it's kind of an open question uh are there any myths that you think need to be debunked that you would like to talk about as you finish this dispatch um you know i don't i don't think there are any myths specifically i think people are very aware of the russian propaganda machine and, you know, in Russia that it's being spun as some kind of liberation. There's a 15 year jail sentence for anyone that utters the word invasion or war. So you can tell that, um, that it's, it's not something that's sort of getting the proper coverage over there, although there are a lot of protests and, and that legislation was passed on Friday unanimously in parliament. So there was no objection and no, um, no one sort of stepping out of the vote. So that really shows you how, weak the Russian parliament is quite frankly and and what a bunch of weaklings that they are that they can't even um you know abstain to something as ridiculous as that so I I just hope that Russian people can access the right 
news agencies that write, um, you know, be able to kind of get around some of that censorship to get a, a clear picture because at the end of the day, it's really Russian people that are the only ones that it can sort of put enough pressure on their government to stop this and, and to stop Putin from, from this sort of, um, crazy killing that is happening. So the myths are the ones that need to be stopped there. And it's, and every people that I speak to will say things like they have family in Russia and their own family doesn't believe them that their house is being shelled, you know, so it's just crazy and it's absolutely ripping families apart. Um, so I just, I, I really hope that the Russian people have a big responsibility in this and, I hope that they can they can help um, help the world really to to rid rid us of this evil. Okay, well, that is a heavy dispatch. One of the heaviest I, conversations I think I've ever had with you. So, um, and uh, you know, and then there you are in the middle of this place. Please stay safe, and I look forward to the next time we talk. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you for your support. Thank you all for your support.